Lord Jesus Christ, you are our King who invites us into your house. I pray, Lord, that we may uh, listen to you this morning, that we might hear from you, open our hearts. And it's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So if you've been with us for a few weeks, you know that we've been preaching through, um, I, I, I'm tempted to call it a series, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm not really much of a, a series kind of person, but uh, two weeks ago we preached about the architecture of the church, uh, kind of a, a values that are dear to, to our church as a movement across the upper Midwest, and so if you're new here, or maybe you're, you're thinking about, you know, what's this, what's this whole Restoration Anglican thing all about, uh, I invite you to go check out that sermon from a couple weeks ago. Uh, even though I was a little sleep-deprived in it, so there's, there's some uh, interesting moments in that. Uh, so I ask you in advance to forgive me for that. And then last week, we preached through our theme of reconciliation. And it was, it, it was a little subtle. Uh, I didn't specifically address, uh, I didn't state that that was our theme for this Sunday, but I hope it came across. Uh, through baptism, we are reconciled to Christ and invited into his great uh, master plan of rescuing the human race from sin and darkness. Um, well, now, uh, wh- what I would like to say is that, that that value of reconciliation for our church, for restoration, is, is actually, it's, it's the table in which all of these other values that we have sit. And so I'm going to be referencing that value quite a bit, um, even in today's uh, sermon. So today, I'm going to be talking about restoration's value of hospitality, of hospitality, And you see, you can't have hospitality as a Christian without first having that value of reconciliation, right? Because we are people who have been reconciled to God, and we want to invite others into the story. That we're human, that's exactly what we do. We want to go to our friends and our neighbors and say, hey, y'all, come check this out, (laughs) right? Like, that's what we naturally do. So I don't know about you, but... um, I believe that there is a spiritual war that is going on uh, in our country, in our land right now. Uh, I believe in the reality of evil, and the Bible speaks very clearly about this. The Bible tells us about various princes and and powers and principalities that are over different areas of the world. And I think um, all of us will probably be in agreement that that there there are evil powers that are pulling us further and further away from God in our world today. And these are conscious beings. They are making plans. They have agendas. And there's two agendas in particular that I want to bring out today. So first of all, I think that there's a, a, an agenda of division in our country, right? You just have to pay attention to the news for a little bit. And you see this spirit of, agenda, of, of division at work. We are encouraged to demonize one another. We're pitted Republicans against Democrats, white against black, rich against poor, Minneapolis against St. Paul. You know, we have this tribalism that starts to get a little infested into our systems, right? And the enemy loves to just throw fear and resentment at us. We have these waves that are sort of washing over us of fear and resentment. Most adults in our society today don't realize that you can, you can accept someone You can be nice to someone, you can be friends with someone, even though you don't necessarily agree with them all the time. So that's one agenda, the the agenda of division. Another one is an agenda of isolation. We are so disconnected from our neighbors these days. You have to be so intentional just to learn the names of your next door neighbors, right? 
It's so easy for us just to pop in our headphones, to turn on our screens, and then just watch the world around us fade and disappear. We teach our kids to do this too, don't we? We entertain ourselves day after day, year after year. Well, friends, what better way to combat these spiritual powers of division and isolation than through Christian hospitality? What better way is there, right? You know, hospitality is just such a needed thing in our world today. And I've been very encouraged even to to be receiving emails from folks every now and then saying, oh, I love how warm restoration is. I I feel so welcome there, uh, even on chilly days like this. So what I would like to do for the rest of the morning, for the rest of my talk, is to talk about the hospitality of the world. So we'll address that, because our culture sure thinks it knows what hospitality is. And then we're going to talk about Christian hospitality, gospel hospitality, the hospitality of the church. So first of all, the hospitality of the world. So hospitality is kind of a buzzword these days. Like you'll kind of hear it everywhere you go, you know, especially now as, as people are starting to think about their holiday shopping, you hear hospitality, you know, in restaurants at the mall and things like this. The dictionary defines hospitality like this. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. Now there's things about that definition that I like. All right, it mentions generosity. Cool. We're supposed to be generous with one another. You know, thumbs up there. It also includes, this definition includes guests, visitors, strangers, cool, so it's recognizing that hospitality extends beyond our own friends, great. But I don't know if you picked up on this. This this is what I don't like about that definition. It sounds that all that really hospitality amounts to is reception and entertainment. Like, is that really all that it's about? I mean, what kind of limited, shallow hogwash is that definition of hospitality, right? All that it amounts to is entertaining our friends. Like, there's more to it than that. So that's, that's what the dictionary says. So this word gets tossed around a lot, but like I said, our world actually doesn't know what, what it looks like. There's kind of two forms of hospitality in the world that we see. I mean, there's many more, but these are just two that I want to emphasize today. So the first is business hospitality. Business hospitality. You know, we see hospitality within the customer service industry. It's a huge buzzword there that, like I've said, and we'll, you know, if we think of great hospitable institutions, we might think of places like the Ritz-Carlton or Chick-fil-A, right? Like, how often do you, like, David and I are always joking, like, we'll do something for the other person, and we'll say, you know, my pleasure, my pleasure. It's like, you just kind of hear this over and over, and you think, oh, they're so hospitable. I feel so welcomed and, and affirmed here at, at uh, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> Uh, I used to work at Apple Retail, and Apple prides itself on its hospitality. Uh, they love to talk about the hospitality that, you, that maybe some of you feel when you walk into the Apple store. It's kind of crazy these days, isn't it? Uh, but ha- Apple would train us on the Apple steps of service, and I know some of you here worked at Apple. You might even be able to remember what the steps of service are. Uh, but it begins with welcoming every customer with a smile, and then it leads you through all these conversation points where you're you're trying to woo them into a friendship with yourself and, you know, ask them questions about themselves, you know. It's all a trick, by the way. Um, but then it ends with this very warm invitation to return, right? Like, oh, thank you for spending thousands of dollars here. Come back whenever you want. You know, it's very hospitable. And the goal here is to build loyalty amongst people. Because, because research has shown us 
This is very, very scientific. If you're nice to someone, they come back. Yeah, research shows us that. And as consumers, as people who spend money, we, we think that this is normal, and we, and we think of these institutions as these retailers as being you know, the ultimate examples of hospitality. But there's, there's inconsistency here, because let me tell you a little secret. We would go into the back room of the Apple store, and do you think the managers would say, wow, I could really tell you were just so friendly with that person. Like, good job. Like, way, way to be friendly. No, they wouldn't say that. They would say, oh, did you attach AppleCare to the sale of that computer? You know, did you attach MobileMe to that? Did you attach this, that? You know, how many accessories did you sell with that? Did you sell them a couple cases as well? They were always concerned about the metrics, right? And whenever you were, you were um, judged at your annual review, you weren't judged by how friendly you were to people. You were judged by dollars, by how much, um, how much money you're able to extract from people. Yeah, I could talk about that forever. We'll move on. But b business hospitality is entirely transactional. If you're not a customer, you're not a friend. That's kind of the big secret here. And people are valued on how much they actually spend. So that's business hospitality. So the second type of uh, worldly hospitality uh, is what I'm calling insta-hospitality. Insta-hospitality. It's no secret that relationships are getting more and more virtual uh, every, every year, every day. And we're just encouraged in our society by this to, to always be posting photos of ourselves. We're supposed to post our thoughts on, on Bookface and all this sort of stuff. And now there's all these like, new features that are allowing us to like, live stream things as well. So, you know, if, if, if having instant posts isn't enough, now you can actually live stream things. I'm really glad none of you are, like, live streaming this right now, by the way. Um, I'm sorry, I was about to come down another rabbit trail. So, anyway, we are, our, our goal is through this insta-hospitality, through this constant publishing, is to foster some kind of online community, right? You have this notion of inviting people into your life, and sometimes, if you're not thinking clearly, you might actually think that these people are truly involved and invested in your life and who you are as a person. You start to think, these are my friends. These are my followers. These people know me. And it's easy to feel, on, on both sides, like you're welcoming people into your life. And it's easy to feel like others are welcoming you into their life. We have this, this grand illusion that's being constructed around us because... Quite frankly, it's, it's a facade, right? Because you, it's just a virtual expression of who you are. It's a virtual home, right? Now, when we do this, we're only getting the polished side of who we are. And you might even share the bad things every now and then, but my guess is even in sharing kind of the negative aspects of life, there's some hidden motivation there. You know, maybe you're trying to create the illusion of vulnerability. Because here's the deal. In reality, hospitality is a two-way street, where there's ongoing, prolonged, deep relationship, where there's actually true, authentic sharing and listening that's going back and forth. And that can't happen through a screen, friends, and we know that. It's part of the reason why we have life groups and why we're encouraging people to, to invite people over into their homes all the time, because this is where true, authentic relationships can, can go deeper. But in, in the world of insta-hospitality, I shouldn't have picked such a tongue twister. In the world of insta-hospitality, people are treated as tokens or as statistics. 
And you want to measure how many likes you have on your stuff and all that sort of thing. So if business hospitality values the dollar more than the person, insta-hospitality values people based off of the statistics that they provide for you. So does this re resonate with folks? Like, do you see this kind of in the world uh, as, as you're going about, as you're looking at the mall, or as you engage on social media, or as your friends engage on social media? And do you see how these things sort of give us the facade of fighting against the spirits of division and isolation? You see, we, we think that, that these things, the business world is making us a part of a people. We think that by publishing online, we're being a part of a people. But really, these are just shallow um, efforts into attacking those spirits of division and isolation. They don't work. So we spent a lot of time talking about what hospitality is not. Let's now turn to a more hopeful direction and talk about what hospitality actually is. What does the church, what does the scripture have to say about hospitality? Well, as I said earlier on, hospitality, first of all, is rooted in reconciliation. Hopefully you glean this from our reading from Romans uh, this morning, where Paul uh, concludes by telling us that Christ first welcomed us. You see, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He rescued us, welcomed us into his household, brought us into his, into his household and sat us at the table and invites us to, to feast with him. And so therefore, Paul encourages us to go and welcome others. Jesus himself says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And we are supposed to follow in that. You see, we're not just receiving and entertaining guests as the world tells us. It's far more to it than just entertainment. We are one beggar telling another beggar where to come and find true bread. And through our love, we are bringing people to the foot of the cross, not just entertaining them with fine drink and cheese. We're bringing them to the cross where sins are washed away, where the soul is fed. So because, of Christ, because Christ died for us, we can welcome others. So secondly, Christian hospitality, the hospitality of the church, recognizes that people are far more than transactions or statistics. People are actually image bearers of God himself. You are far more than the credit you have left on your credit card. <laughs> You're far more than your ability to click like on things on the internet. When God gets a hold of our broken lives, Christians recognize that anything can happen and that we are just huge, we have so much potential to be um, reconciled, uh, new stories of grace to one another. So I used to work at Minnehaha Academy, and uh, there's a, a dear, beloved teacher who just recently retired. Uh, she was one of my favorites, uh, Ronnie George. I mean, some of you, yeah, some of you are nodding, you know Ronnie. Uh, Ronnie George, she taught middle school art, which right away, you just think, oh, God bless you. <laughs> you know, you're teaching middle school art. Awesome. Good for you. But Ronnie, she was also the kind of person at faculty meetings who you loved to listen to. Because she would usually, <laughs> Mrs. Guild is, is shaking her head right now. Because Ronnie would sit back, she would listen to the discussion, and she would kind of let people talk about things. And then once there was a little bit of quiet in the room, she would tell you what she really thought about the conversation. And it was always wonderful because she was always caring for 
uh, either faculty members who were being neglected in that moment. She was always calling forth the voices of people who weren't sharing. Or she had her students in mind who, who maybe there's a policy that's coming out and she's like, this isn't going to be good for these folks. Ronnie was always being a voice for the voiceless. The voiceless. And she kind of had this, this odd um, thing that she would always try to ask of me. So I, I worked with technology there at Minnehaha. And she was always trying to come and, and to, to get me to, to go to the art room after school. And I'm like, Ronnie, I, I can't go to the art room after school. This is when all the students are gone, and this is when I, I need to go to the classrooms and fix stuff. You know, she's always like, no, Rick, you need, you need to come to my classroom after school. You know, please come. I can tell you're very tired, Rick. You need to come. You need to come. And she was just always asking. All, all three years that I worked there, she was always asking me to do that. Well, one day, uh, I was looking at the, the list of, of support tickets that came in, and I saw that Ronnie needed some help with her projector. And so I go in after school to her room, and I open the door, and there's this beautiful music playing in the room. And there's this, like, kind of overwhelming smell of incense. <laughs> but it was cool. I liked it. It was great. Um, but it smelled wonderful in there. And there were all these other teachers and employees of the school were there uh, spread across the classroom building various things. Some of them were doing like paper mache projects. Some of them were painting. Some of them were, were building, like reconfiguring things that they found elsewhere in the building. And there were teachers, teacher aides, custodians, you know, people from all over the, facu the, the uh, faculty were there. And I realized, oh, Ronnie's not just asking me to go and have, like, art time with her. Like, she's asking everyone to do this. Because Ronnie knew that everyone is an artist. Everyone has this wonderful potential to create beautiful and amazing things. And also, everyone needs rest, right? Everyone needs to come into the sanctuary of her classroom and find rest. I actually saw an article of Ronnie the other day. Uh, she's, like I said, she's retired. She's now doing this with veterans, by the way. Uh, so she's, her, her ministry continues. But God is like that art teacher. God sees that all of us are these image bearers of himself. And all of us have so much potential for beauty and goodness and truth. You see, all of our stories are so wildly unique from, an, from one another. So that when God's grace comes and gets infused into our lives, as soon as all of us experience what that forgiveness is like, we can create beautiful things. And that's what the church is supposed to do. The church is supposed to welcome people, to bring people in, to introduce them to the king. Say, you look tired. You need to come in here. You need to rest. You need to come in here. That's what Christian hospitality looks like. And it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, black or white, if you live on this side of the river or that side of the river. Whether you're, you're brand new to the Christian faith, whether or not you've been a Christian forever and ever, come and gather and let's see how Christ restores your soul, right? So we can keep talking for quite a while about hospitality. There's other things that we could address. The scripture passages, I don't know if, if, you were, um, in, in to, if you were listening, but each one of them tell different stories of hospitality. So I encourage you to take these bulletins home, read through these passages again, and, and see how they challenge us to be more hospitable. We you would probably see that Hospitality requires great sacrifice, right? You're taking risks in who you, you welcome into your home. You might also see that hospitality is, is more than an actual building, but it's up to the people to be 
hospitable. Praise the Lord, as much as I love this gymnasium, it's, it's up to us to be hospitable. But the, what I would like to end with is, is a bit more, I don't know, mystical, a bit more maybe sacramental about hospitality. Because here's the thing. When we are hospitable, we actually experience the presence of Christ. When we welcome one another, when we welcome the stranger especially, we experience the presence of Christ. Listen to some of these passages. So the Apostle John writes this later in his life to to one of his congregations. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us. That is, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. In other words, as we receive one another, as we love one another, there's, there's an actual presence of God there. We actually see the converse of this, uh, this, this thought in Acts chapter 9, when Christ confronts Saul on the road to Damascus. Do you remember what Jesus says to him after he's knocked off his horse? He says, Saul, Saul, why are, your, why are you persecuting me? You see, when you persecute my people, Jesus is saying, you persecute me. So that means that the flip side is true. If you receive my people, then you are receiving me. There's some sort of Christological presence of Christ (laughs) in our hospitality. And I think that's probably most evident in, in a beautiful passage in Matthew chapter 25, when Christ is calling the righteous to himself. And he commends them. He says, for when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you came to me. If you're familiar with that passage, you know that the righteous are very confused because they don't remember seeing Jesus in those situations. And Jesus says, well, when you did this for the least of these, you did it for me. You see, in some sort of mystical, dare I say, sacramental way, when we welcome one another, we are experiencing the presence of Christ. Now, I know that as an Anglican, that's maybe a little strange thing to think about, right? Because we love talking about Christ's presence here at the table. And we love talking about Christ's presence in the waters of baptism. But I think if we're going to take passages like John 6 about Jesus being the bread you know, seriously, we also have to take these passages seriously as well that Christ is actually meeting us in our hospitality. That while we gather around our tables, not just this table, but the tables of our home, that Christ is present there. Doesn't this resonate with your own experience? Isn't this something that you have felt? Like, haven't haven't your, your faith been encouraged by the hospitality that you have experienced? I know that this is true for my story. Uh, I became a Christian as a teenager, and it wasn't through some sort of philosophical argument you know it wasn't because of a class that I took no it was it was because I was a kid kind of in this blended family right and it was it was it was good my parents did a a great job raising us but there were still some challenges in that household but the reason why I came to faith is because I saw these friends who were Christians who kept welcoming me into their home it was as if I had a key to their house. I could walk right into their house without even knocking. And the parents would say, oh, 
Rick, come on in, come on in. We'd, you know, they'd open up their cabinets to us so we could eat all their food, you know, in the refrigerator, everything out of the fridge. And it was wonderful. And I knew, man, there is something, something otherworldly that is going on in this house. And it's not that their homes were all these perfect examples of what a family should look like. No, they were broken too, but there was a centrality of Christ there. There was an otherworldliness to their love. They knew that when we welcomed others, Christ was present. So one of my mentors in college, um, his name is John Hayes, uh, founder of Interchange, which if you want to learn more about Interchange, look to the Martins over here. They'll, They'll tell you all about Interchange. Uh, But John Hayes uh, would say this. He would say, it takes a community to reach a community. And that phrase has always stuck with me since then. It takes a community to reach a community. You see, friends, if we want to see change in South Minneapolis, in our neighbors, then we need to be a community ourselves, a community where where we love one another, where we're eating in one another's homes, when, you know, when, when we're chatting with our friends back in the foyer, we're also looking out for some newcomers and inviting them into the conversation, right? We need to be forming our own community so that when we bring other folks here, they just slide on in, right? They're welcomed. They come to the feast and they experience the presence of Christ. And this is where we'll see, you know, many others coming to salvation. It'll be, you know, it, it, it's such a testimony. It's such a miracle, right? When, right, right now in this room, you know, with people across uh, generations coming in here. I'm sure you all have voted in very different ways, but yet we come here and we gather around the table. We gather around Christ and we form this beautiful otherworldly community that I hope will change our neighborhood for Christ and for his glory. So on that note, let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, may we be a community who welcomes the other. May we be a place that exemplifies your love, Lord, where we are rooted in your reconciliation, where we recognize your image within one another, and where we experience your presence, Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in your name and for your glory we pray. Amen.